Hi, this is Bill Denton, and welcome to Mississippi Sunshine. I'm really excited about today's podcast. I have uh, an interview that uh, I did just the other day with Marlo Kirkpatrick, an author who writes about the state of Mississippi. She is one informative lady, and I really believe you're going to like listening to this. If you ever wanted to know Mississippi in a nutshell, I would tell you this is the podcast to listen to. Marlo will give us just a ton of information. She is interesting. She's bright. She's enjoyable. You're going to really like what you hear in this podcast. Sit back, relax. It'll take a little while, but this is going to be a great program. guest today is Marlo Kirkpatrick. Marlo is an author. I've got a couple of her books right in front of me. One of them is titled Off the Beaten Path, Mississippi, A Guide to Unique Places. Mine happens to be the eighth edition. Eighth edition, Marlo, you got seven others out there. Is there a ninth? (laughs) There is a ninth that I'm working on right now. I think it's the ninth. You know what? It may be the tenth. I'm not even sure. That's a terrible thing, but I am I am working on the latest incarnation of that book um, right now. It is due to the publisher November the 1st. So one of the things I want to ask your listeners to do is to send me some kind of hear what I'm looking for for that book. Oh, that's great. And the other one is titled, It Happened in Mississippi, Remarkable Events That Shaped History. Mine is a first edition. How about that? Um, And I've actually used uh, some material out of both of these books for uh, some of our podcasts and some other things that I have done. Uh, enjoyable. I, I like I like reading about Mississippi, and uh, I think Marlo does a great job, and that's one of the reasons I have her on doing an interview with me today. So, Marlo, here are some questions uh, that I have for you that I think um, might provide some interesting information for folks that listen to this podcast. First of all, we need to know a little something about you. You know, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? What kind of interests do you have? Things about your family? Do you have a dog or a cat? You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, which, of course, is also known as the largest city in North Mississippi. <laughs> um, I attended, yeah, that's, at least that's the way that I think of it. Um, I attended at Briarcrest in Memphis, and the only reason I mention that is because since then that school has become famous as the Blind High School. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie with Sandra Bullock about the oldest football player Michael Orr and his adoptive family that actually took place at the school where I went to high school, albeit many years after I graduated. Um, I went to Ole Miss. I got degrees in journalism and English, and as kind of getting to the point of being a writer, I was always a bookworm. Um, I started answering writer to the question when people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? When I was probably no more than 10 or 11 years old. Um, I was always a little bookworm, loved reading. And then I started to write stories of my own when I was still a child. And actually, this was a very easy career choice for me because writing is the only talent I have. (laughs) When I say that, sometimes people think, oh, you're trying to be modest. No, I'm being very serious. Um, I'm still not sure that two plus two is four. I cannot do math. I can't carry a tune. I was always the last kid picked for the kickball team, and I can 
cannot cook. Um, so there's a list of many, many things that I cannot do. But writing out the very limited list of things that I know that I can do and do well. So that was a really easy um, career choice for me. And it was always my passion. I love to tell stories. That's the first thing that really, I guess, instead of saying writer, I should say storyteller. I love to tell stories. I love to find stories and kind of flesh those things out. And that's been my passion ever since I was a child. Um, you were asking about my family, and I do have a very interesting spouse, and my writing career led me to meet my spouse. I'm married to Stephen Kirkpatrick, and he is a professional wildlife and nature photographer. And I met Stephen because he hired me to write the text of a book for him. He was working on a coffee table book of photographs from around North America, and so he hired me to write that book. And we worked together for probably six months. And we just strictly had a professional relationship, but he had already shot all the photography for this book by the time we met, and he was working on his next book project. So he was going back and forth to the Amazon, shooting an Amazon book, and I wanted the contract to write that book as well. So I kind of pitched him on the fact that I should write it, and then I decided I should go to the Amazon with him. And this was not something he was enthusiastic about. Um, I had never been camping before. And so my first camping trip was to the Peruvian Amazon. And I think he thought he was going to have to babysit me the whole entire time. And what happened instead is that we fell in love on that trip. And it sounds wonderful and romantic. And, and it is. I mean, that's a very adventurous, romantic thing to do. But when you fall in love in the Amazon, you know that it is real love because you do not look pretty. <laughs> um, it is a, I'm covered with bug bites. I'm sweating. Um, there's, we're staying on this, this thing that is loosely called a riverboat. And, um, just to give you an idea, the water in the shower came directly out of the river and there was a filter that caught the big stuff, but Ooh. little things would kind of filter. Mm -hmm. no electricity. So there's no blowout, you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty, so, um, if you fall in love in the Amazon, you know that it's true love. <laughs> and we've been married 21 years. Um, since then, we actually went back to Peru for our wedding ceremony, which is about a year after we started dating. And we were married at Machu Picchu, which is, of course, the city of the Inca, the oh, lost city wow. of the Inca. And I tell people, um, I think we're married. Uh, the <laughs> wedding ceremony was completely in Spanish. We were married by the mayor of Machu Picchu. And we have a paper that says something on it. And it either says you're married or it says you owe your life to the country of Peru and please send us all your money. I'm not quite sure which, but um, it was a beautiful ceremony. And so as far as we know, we're married, but I can say that those four semesters of Spanish that I took at Ole Miss, obviously I was not a very good student because I did not understand very much about my entire, my own wedding ceremony. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So that's a little bit about my family. That's probably more information than you wanted to have. Oh, but, um, no, that's great. Uh, that's a terrific story. And, uh, and in fact, I, I love the fact that you describe yourself as a storyteller. Uh, I love stories. And I, I try to tell people that that's one of the things that is really true about uh, people from Mississippi. We, we like stories. We tell stories. Absolutely. So. Um, Absolutely. I could tell you a funny story, but this is not about me. It's about you today. <laughs> remind me, remind <laughs> me one day to tell you a funny story about uh, me and the Amazon. I have not been to the Amazon, but that's totally my wife's fault. But that's another. That's for another day. <laughs> well, she may be a smart person because I'll tell you one more story about the Amazon. Um, we continued. We did. Stephen and I did two books on the Amazon. One is a um, 
one is a coffee table book and it's, it's, it's my favorite book project that Stephen and I have ever done together. And we've done several, but the book is called Romancing the Rain and it's photographs of the Amazon, but the text of the book is about the nature of love. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like a disconnect, but it works in practice. It's, um, you know, the first phase is enchantment. Oh, she's beautiful. The place is beautiful. The job is great. The second phase is disenchantment. Well, now I've seen her with our third phase is maintenance or longevity where you decide you're going to really work on this. And then the fourth phase is forever. We're going to stick it out. Well, went on several expeditions to the Amazon and some of those are better than others, but there was one trip we went on that was really, for some reason I had a very difficult time on this trip. And I was kind of used to the heat, the humidity, the bugs, the snakes. But on this one trip, we spent about six weeks there in this very remote location and I was very, very, very ready to come home at the end of that trip. And um, at one point, I was complaining about something. I will confess. I was griping. And my husband said, you know what? You're just too high maintenance. And he said, as soon as those words came out of his mouth, he wanted to reel them back in. <laughs> he said, I'm sleeping with bags of snakes all over the floor in this hut in the jungle. This morning, I woke up with a cockroach waving its antenna at me from the bristles of my toothbrush, and I had a mouse opossum chewing through my mosquito netting by my ear in the middle of the night. Don't you ever tell me that I'm high maintenance again. <laughs> he said, you're right, you're right. So if you have a story about your wife and the Amazon, I'm thinking it probably has that kind of an outcome somewhere yeah, in well, there. It, it would, it, let me just say it prevented such outcomes. So. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> All right, that's some great information. That tells me that we have um, another connection that I really wasn't aware of. Um, I went to Ole Miss, and Oxford is my hometown. So, oh, but, awesome! But I haven't lived—I haven't lived there in a hundred years, and it's—it's uh, it's quite a different, different place than it was when I was growing up there. But I—I I love Ole Miss, love Oxford, go Rebels, hotty toddy, et cetera. All right. right. I'm right there with you on that. (laughs) Okay. So uh, that tells me a little bit about how you got to Mississippi, but what made you want to write about Mississippi? I mean, it's one thing to move here and live here. It's it's another one to write about the place. So, Well, as I said, I'm a storyteller, and Mississippi is full of stories that beg to be told. Um, The stories here really tend to find me. I haven't really had to go out and seek out a lot of things. I think that comes from being curious and asking questions and also probably from talking too much. You can probably already tell I'm very extroverted and I love to meet people and I like to listen as much as I like to talk. Um, Some of my best stories have developed when I set out to write about one thing, but then I followed an unexpected path that led me to something else. I've gone to interview people for magazine stories and found out they have a side story that's more interesting than the story I was sent to write about. And as far as writing about the place itself, the off the beaten path places and the ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to me make the very best stories. We have wonderful museums here. We have wonderful attractions that are promoted here. But to me, it's the quirky things that are the most interesting And it's these people no one has ever heard of, in addition to our many famous celebrities. It's the people that that most people have never heard of who've done something interesting that I like to talk about. And I always have the best cocktail party conversation of anyone because there always tends to be some person I've met or some place about. Um, That's that's kind of where it comes for me. It's uh, it's been experiencing some 
writing for in myself as it is I'm already writing that going to share it with other people and in Mississippi they really do those stories really do tend to find me yeah that's great I think that's true we uh, things kind of bump into you know you weren't expecting them and sometimes those are the very best things um in in the book that you wrote off the beaten path <clears throat> Mississippi a guide to unique places uh, you you've got you wrote you wrote something in there that I thought was really good you said Mississippi is not merely a landscape but a state of mind um, man, that's terrific. Cause I, I'm, you know, I have actually lived in a lot of places in the world, but I really believe that's true. So, uh, flesh that out for me a little bit. What, what do you mean by that? That Mississippi is not merely a landscape, but a state of mind. Well, Mississippi is a unique place and probably everyone says that about the place that they're from, but kind of in the same vein as that is one of my favorite Faulkner quotations. He said, to understand the world, you must first understand a place like Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Mississippi may seem very simple on the surface to people, but it's actually very complicated. We're known for hospitality, but we're also known for this hateful past, um, civil rights and and some very negative things. Mm -hmm. We're known for brilliant writers and artists and musicians, but we're also known because we have a poor education system here and we are the poorest state in the nation. Um, We're poor, but we're also the most generous state in terms of charitable giving. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of dichotomy dichotomy about Mississippi that makes it unique. And I think in general, people are shaped by the land where they grow up and the land where they live. And I don't just mean like the place, but the actual land, the topography of the land. Um, For example, the Delta Blues would not be the Delta Blues if they hadn't been in the Delta. I mean, there was nowhere else that music was going to be born. We have a unique personality in Mississippi. The state has a unique personality. And I think that all of our writing, our music, our art, our food, everything is an expression of that personality. And I also think that the slow pace here and the lack of distractions, which is kind of another word for not a whole lot of stuff going on, (laughs) um, influences our creativity. Think about if if you live in New York City, Okay, I'm a writer, and if I live in New York City, I would probably never write anything because there would be so many things I'd want to go do and experience. There's a Broadway show I want to see or a museum I want to go to or this or that. We have a lot of things here like that that are wonderful, but we don't have as many distractions. And I think that boredom sometimes is a great city. If you are sitting in some remote rural area and there's going on around you, you tend to make up things in your head to go that are going on around you. Um, That's how people write. You may decide that you want to create a painting because you don't have a lot else going on that day and you saw something that caught your eye a while back. But I think that um, the lack of distraction here has helped us to be... For me, creativity is a key part of Mississippi's personality. I think that we are such a creative people and I see that shown not in the more expected ways or not only just in the more expected ways of art or music or writing, but in unexpected ways too. People here find creative ways to give back. They find creative ways to entertain themselves and their friends. They find creative ways to show love to one another. It's a very, very creative place. And I think that that's a part of our personality that people outside the state maybe don't know about. And I wish that they did. Yeah, I think that's right on target. Uh, like I said, I've, I've lived in a number of places. I was in the Air Force for eight years and spent six of that overseas. And um, I, I do believe we have some unique stuff to offer. And, uh, you know, boredom isn't all that bad. It, it does uh, provide a little, uh, you know, steam for creativity. I believe you're exactly right there. Um, 
the um, in that same book, uh, you you uh, w- one of the ways that that book is organized is that you have a map that shows different areas of Mississippi, and you kind of divide this up and. Uh, you've got northeastern hills, eastern plains, Mississippi River Delta, the heartland, and then southern Mississippi and the Gulf Coast. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. I, I've not really had a, uh, I guess, an official or studied approach to this, but I have always told people that Mississippi is a bunch of different areas, and and it is different. When you go to North Mississippi or you go to South Mississippi, it's a different place. And I've tried to explain that, but you've got here you've got this in your book. And I thought that was uh, something that really spoke to me uh, because I have observed this and experienced this. So uh, talk about that a little bit. Uh, tell, Tell me how you came up with that. Um, so maybe just because somebody from a different place, they may know the Mississippi Delta, that's kind of maybe one of our most famous areas, but they may not know anything about the other places or the other areas in Mississippi. So how how did you come about that idea? And, and just talk about that a little bit. Well, and I can talk about each area. I would like to claim credit for that, (laughs) but um, that is kind of the way that the state tourism promotion office years ago used to organize the state for their literature. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think originally it may have started with something like the congressional districts, but it's evolved since then. But it perfect the way that the state is divided in the off the beaten path book, which again I can't take original credit for it, but that really seems to capture the personalities that are very different in each of the five areas of the state, and they are very different. If you are somewhere far away from Mississippi, and um, I may be from Oxford, and someone else may be from Biloxi, when you meet, you go, oh yeah, we're from Mississippi. But if you're within Mississippi and you're from the north, and someone else is from the coast, you go, oh you're from the coast. Oh, you're different people. I mean, it's just a very different kind of thing. And I mean, not that that's an antagonistic thing. It's just very different culturally. Um, I think that you are right. Most people hear Mississippi and they think of the Mississippi River Delta and farmland. And I think that that's also been um, on the news a lot because that's that's very stereotypical. It's flat. It's farmland. It's a it's a low income, poverty stricken area. And that's kind of what people outside have a perception of Mississippi. Also, Mississippi River. That's that's. Um, one of the few things that most people kind of universally identify with Mississippi, because I mean, I know that when I travel overseas or even in other parts of the United States, when I say I'm from Mississippi, people go, well, how far do you live from the river? Because mm-hmm. they all, they think we're all living on the river. Right. Um, the Delta is of course farmland and it's flat. When I think of the Delta, I think of the fact that you can see so far, you can see for miles and miles and miles. I think about the way that it is so hot in summer because there aren't very many trees and then I also think about um, the soil is so rich there and the, the land is rich there as far as creativity. I think of the blues. I mean, that's where the music was born. And I know we're probably going to talk about that mm-hmm. in a little more detail. Um, the Northeastern Hills, that's the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Now, is it mountainous? No, but it's rolling hills and some rocky kind of areas. And you don't see that kind of topography anywhere else in the state. And that area is kind of a quiet place to me, but there's a lot of culture there. That would be the area that Oxford falls in. Oxford is the quintessential southern small town. Mm-hmm. It's got the square. It's got the history. It's got that beautiful little scenery around it. So that's very, very quintessentially southern small town area. 
But that's also the land that inspired William Faulkner, who's, of course, regarded as the most genius writer in American history, and then Elvis Presley, who's the king of rock and roll. So obviously there's some creative vibes up there in those hills. Um, The eastern edge of the state, that's a lot of farmland, but it's more cattle farming and things like that. There's also a lot of Native American history there. A lot of people, when you think of Mississippi history, they think of the Civil Rights Movement, and you go back further, and they think of the Civil War. But there's a very rich Native American history here. We had the Choctaw Indians, and we have a lot of a lot of their culture is still in existence in the in the eastern area of the state. And then the heartland is all about the Mississippi River, not so much for farming like the Delta. But for Vicksburg, it was on the river, and it was a primary target in the Civil War, so there's so much Civil War history there. Natchez on the river at one time had more millionaires per capita than any other city except, I believe, New York in the antebellum period because that was where all the rich planters lived. That's what I think of as kind of the heartland of the state is where that river area is. And then the coast, to me, is a... It's just a completely carefree, vibrant personality, and it feels like a party might break out just any minute there, <laughs> just any given day. We may have a party. And that, that got even more of a vibe with the casinos down there, and you've got entertainment. And then, of course, there's the beach, and it's the, I think the, I know it's the longest man-made beach in the, in America and maybe in the I, world. I, I can't think, remember, but the beach is yeah, there. I think it's in the world, 20-something 20, miles of white sand beach. Yeah, and anytime you've got a beach – You've got a different feel. Something about a beach just absolutely has a different feel and a different personality. It feels like vacation. It feels like relaxation. So the coast, to me, has a very, very distinctive personality that's different from the other areas of the state. Yeah, I, I think that's right on. And sometimes I, I tell people that uh, ride along the coast. Now, this may not be so much true if you go one county north of us, but um Right along the coast of three coast counties, I think I think we sometimes have much more in common with South Louisiana than we do with the rest of Mississippi, but culture-wise, and that's um, that may just mm-hmm. be my perception. But our food is uh, very much like Louisiana food. Uh, music down here is uh, sometimes a lot like Louisiana food or Louisiana music, and um, we have a lot of affinity to that. And that, and that's why some of my friends up in North Mississippi are bothered when I tell them my second favorite football team is LSU. But <laughs> don't, don't, well, don't, tell, don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> I understand. My, my husband went to LSU and, um, so we have a mixed marriage and uh-huh. he's a real Cajun. He's from way down in South Louisiana. So it, yeah, I understand all about that Cajun stuff. And then also, you know, who dad? Got the yeah. big Houdat community down there on the coast as well. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, we're big Saints fans, uh, Archie and all that stuff. So uh, that goes back a long way. But it's fun It's fun stuff, and you're right. I, I, I told somebody uh, oh, a couple of years ago they had just moved to the coast, and they were wanting to know, you know some things about the coast. And I said, you need to relax down here. I said, that's the biggest thing I can tell you. Just, just relax. <laughs> you know, we, we're slow down here. Nobody gets in a hurry. So and if you don't believe that, come drive Highway 90 when stuff's going on. You'll, you'll definitely <laughs> slow down. Uh, you mentioned earlier um, about the Delta being the home of the blues. And, uh, oh, I love blues music. In fact, I try to pick blues music as my intro and exit music for this podcast. But... Um, so why, why do you think the Delta produced such a marvelous kind of music? 
Well, the blues is born out of hardship, and the actual music itself was born of the chants, the work chants, the chants, and the songs of slaves who were brought here, and incorporates elements that they brought to this country from their homelands in Africa. So it truly is America's only original music. It, it originated in those fields, and from there it influenced jazz. The blues influenced rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And so I like to tell people every note you hear on the radio has its roots in Mississippi. And it's interesting when you travel through the Delta, when you go to the Blues Museum, when you go to Ground Zero, when you go to these places and look at the guest books, people from all over the world come to the Mississippi Delta because of that blues trail. Right. They want to see where the music started. And um, Eric Clapton, I know, credits a lot of his music to influence from Muddy Waters. Um, I'm trying, there's, um, oh, who is the other group? They're down there all the time, and now I can't remember. Um, there's another group, very famous British rock band, all the time coming down there to, to feel the vibe. A lot of musicians like to go stay at the Shack Up Inn in Clarksdale, mm-hmm. which is a collection of actual sharecropper shacks that have been moved to one site, and they rent it out as a bed and breakfast. Or no, they call it Mississippi's Mississippi's earliest B and B bed and beer. <laughs> um, that's what's on the T-shirt. But they have a lot of musicians who want to come right in those shacks because they feel like they are picking up the vibe of that original music. Yeah. So that's not just um, something that Mississippi stuck on a road sign or a T-shirt. It's actually true. That's where the music started. That's where the music came from. And all these other musicians, American musicians and American musical art forms, they all owe Mississippi something for that. Yeah. We, we, we started that here, and it's something that I think everyone in Mississippi can be proud of. We've got some things in our history with racial relations that have been very tense, but I think if you ask anybody from Mississippi, you know, what are you really proud of that we export, people would say the blues. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, and you know, it's... One of the things that uh, we human beings are kind of guilty of, if we've got something in our backyard, we tend to ignore it. We'll travel a thousand miles to go see something else, but we ignore the stuff in our own backyard. Um, Maybe more Mississippians need to go check out the history of the blues and and, uh, what, what all is going on in the Delta. There's a lot of good stuff up there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, one reason we get the Grammy Museum, the only Grammy Museum outside of Los Angeles is in Cleveland, Mississippi. And that would seem like a very strange place to put this high tech, wonderful Grammy Museum. But it's because we have more Grammy winners per capita than any other state. Well, why do you think all these people have this musical talent? Maybe it's just something in the soil. I don't know. But um, (laughs) that is recognition on a national level of the importance of Mississippi to music. And all of that started with the blues. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned a little bit about this, but um, I don't think you can talk about Mississippi without recognizing at least some of our faults. And race relations have often been uh, tense and violent. Um, I I think that the state is making progress here. Uh, My personal opinion is whoever you ask about questions about race relations, it sometimes depends on the person and their own experience. Uh, but having said that, do you, do you think we're making some progress in a more positive way or, or are things improving, uh, you know, when you bring up this particular topic? Um, and again, this would just be my based on my personal experience, as you said, but I, I think so. 
um, I think that for a while there was, um, of course, you have the dark period. You have some very negative times in the state. Then I think you have the reaction of we don't want to look at that or talk about that anymore. We want to kind of push that mm-hmm. away and not address it. And now I think the attitude is more one of look how far we've come instead of trying to deny or hide that and then really celebrating and recognizing the people who sacrifice so much to make these things happen. If you look at Jackson just unveiled a new civil rights museum and it's a beautiful modern facility that tells the story in a way that celebrates and honors people who fought to, to make equality reality here. Um, the, there's a facility in Meridian, Mississippi called the Max, a new facility that just opened a year ago. It has a Hall of Fame and it has all of these wonderful interactive exhibits. It's a tribute to artists and performers. And I believe that well more than half, I can't remember the exact percentage, but well more than half are people of color. So we are celebrating, we are celebrating things that maybe once we wanted to ignore and celebrating people that maybe once we just you know, weren't paying that much attention to. Um, there's a movement right now to make the Emmett Till site part of the national park system. And I think that would be a phenomenal thing. The mm-hmm. Bryant Grocery, the courthouse where the trial was held, the sites along the river where, where um, poor Emmett Till was, was body was thrown into the river, trying to make that part of the national park service. It would provide for having docents on staff all the time to guide people through that history. And it would provide to preserve those places so they don't just, fade away and fall into ruin. And that would be, to me, tremendous, not just for Mississippi, but for the nation and the world to come and see that horrible event, but all of the change that came out of it. And if we could get that passed through Congress and get that as part of the national park system, I think that would be just a phenomenal, phenomenal step to show, hey, this is who we are. And we're we're not proud of this, but we're going to get to educate other people and try to make sure that this doesn't happen again. We're going to acknowledge our role in it, and then we're going to acknowledge what we've done to to improve ourselves and improve our state and to make sure that we don't ever go back to that place again. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, so let me ask you something. Uh, we'll take a little uh, segue here, a uh, uh, sharp one, but do you have a, going back to your storyteller id you you got a favorite mississippi story oh it's so hard <laughs> <laughs> well I, i've got some different categories of stories okay um, that'll work i love i love i love the quirky stories i love the weird stories and i like the scary stories um i like the story of the lady in red mm-hmm. this is a woman who had been dead for over a century and she was unearthed on a farm when they were doing some farming work and she was buried in a glass top coffin and no one's ever figured out where she came from or who she was i love the haunted mansions and the ghost stories again in natchez there's a grave in an old country cemetery in Carrollton that gets decorated for Christmas, and it has lights and music on a timer and its own electric meter. And if oh, you are wow. just walking or driving down this very remote country road, when that timer goes off and these <laughs> lights come on and Christmas music starts playing, yeah, I guarantee you it would scare the hell out of you. Oh, that's <laughs> so, funny. I love those things. Um, I love the the individual artists and the people who have little museums in their houses. Um, I've met several of those. Um, L.V. Hall was an artist in Kosciuszko, and she would she painted junk, like actual junk from the junkyard. Mm-hmm. And she had a really distinct painting style. She would paint washing machine agitators and 
old rotary dial telephones and people would bring her their old stuff to paint. And every inch of her house was covered in that stuff. And when my stepchildren were very young, I took them to go meet her and they were kind of scared of her. She was very different. You're in her house and there's all this stuff everywhere. And she just would sing gospel tunes to them. She grabbed them and hugged them. And she was African-American woman. And she said, this black won't rub off on you. And just friendly and sweet. And I bought some of her pieces for maybe 5 or $6. She passed away. And now her work is in the permanent collection of the Mississippi Museum of Art. But I got to meet her in person. I got to meet Reverend Dennis and Margaret of Margaret's Grocery outside Vicksburg, which is another folk art kind of crazy project that looks like Legos stacked on the side of Highway 61. I got to meet them before they died. I got to go to Graceland, too, where the quirky guy lived in the house in Holly Springs and everything was Elvis and he would let you in in the middle of the night. It didn't matter what time you showed up at the door. (laughs) And the thing about these people is they're just unique or sometimes just a little odd people who who are doing this because they want to do it and because they have a passion for it. And when they die, their gifts die with them. And so if you don't go out and see those things, you will never have another chance. You will never have another chance to meet these people. So I always encourage people to get out there and see it. If you hear something about that, it may be a little strange. You're going to knock on this door, but it it will be the best thing that's ever happened. So I love those kind of stories. Um, There are some things about Mississippi that I that I love. One of them is um, the fact that we really do all seem to know each other. We had friends who came to visit from Vancouver, and we took them on a tour of the state, and it, we didn't plan it this way, but almost everywhere we went, from the coast to up north, we kept running into people that we knew, and we were at, um, just an example, we were at the Walter Anderson Museum, and it was closed for a wedding, but the curator there is a friend of ours, and she said, oh, just come on in. Don't worry about it. Well, the people who were getting married, we ended up knowing them, too, and <laughs> so everywhere we went, and these friends from Vancouver said, this is weird. This are You really all are related to each other, but, and then they loved our friends. They go, oh, you're from Canada. We took them to, um, to Mary Mahoney's. There was a woman up there eating, and she said, I just need to introduce your friend to everyone in here because she's from Canada. And she just took her all over the restaurant. This is Caroline. She's from Canada. So the people who are so friendly, I think, are some of the things that really stand out to me. And then Mississippi to me means resilience. There are so many stories of resilience if you look around. I look at people who fought for the civil rights in the civil rights era, and they didn't just suffer indignity. They suffered the very real threat of death. And they kept on fighting. And if you look at photographs from the lunch counter sit-in at Woolworth, that kind of tells you how awful it actually was. Mm -hmm. The resilience of those people is amazing. We are a different place because of them. I look at the coast after Hurricane Katrina. It was wiped off the map. That was just unbelievable. But the next day, people were spray painting stuff on the ruins. We'll be back. You can't keep us down. You know, Katrina won coast zero but we're coming back and they did come back that's true and without a lot of without a lot of fanfare and without a lot of drama people just kind of dig in and do what needs to be done and i've written a lot of profiles of ordinary people who will never be famous but they've done incredible things and a lot of times what they're doing is not for their own benefit it's something they're doing to help other people and i think that being from mississippi has a lot of what gives those people the grit to do those kind of things. That's kind of an attitude here. We're just a very, very resilient people here, and I'm very proud of that. Very, very proud of that fact. Well, that's that's a terrific assessment, I think, of uh, our people. You're right on target. 
Marlo, tell me what's in the works for you. What what you got uh, coming out soon, and uh, maybe a few words even about your husband's photography. Let's get it, <laughs> slip that in while we're while <laughs> we're talking here. Too. Yeah, um, well, I am working on the next edition of Mississippi Off the Beaten Path. So, if people would like to, can I give them my email address? Is that okay? Sure. Um, it is Marlo Marlo Kirkpatrick at Comcast dot net, and I would love to hear from people around the state who've got, as we were talking about, an interesting little museum in their house, some strange thing they're doing, um, cool places to eat. There are lots of really unique restaurants in Mississippi, and not just unique because the food is good. Unique because it's in a strange place, or there's a weird atmosphere, or something that makes it really quirky and unusual. I want to hear about all those things, and so I would love to get some tips from people to help me with that book. I'll be doing a lot of traveling um, this year, I'm going to try to do most of that in the fall when it's not quite so hot. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, I'll be doing a lot of traveling around the state. And so I would love to have some tips on where to go. And then my husband and I have done, before we were ever together, he did a book called Wild Mississippi. Then we did a book together called Wilder Mississippi. Well, you know, you got wild and wilder, you got to have wildest. <laughs> so his project right now is Wildest Mississippi. And he is always looking for people who've got some kind of interesting animals on their property. And I know this can be kind of hard to hard to track, but, um, you know, bobcats and wild boar and that kind of thing, albino animals, that kind of thing. He's always interested in hearing about that. And so if you want to pass those tips on to me, I can share those with him as well. That sounds great. Marlo, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me today and uh, talking about Mississippi. That This is just terrific. Exactly the kind of stuff that I want to put on this podcast. You've been excellent. Well, great. Thank can you I, so can much. I say, can I say one more thing? Sure. Can I say one more thing? Absolutely. I got some advice for people who may hear and want to know how to explore Mississippi. I would say start with a plan, but be sure that you're flexible and be willing to go where the road leads you. Um, The absolute best part of our state is off the beaten path. Talk, talk, talk to people. Um, Ask for their stories. This is how you end up in a restaurant that doubles as a flea market where you eat fried chicken while someone sings to you. This is how you end up leaving fruit at the grave of the Gypsy Queen. This is how you end up having lunch with 20 new friends in a cabin at the Neshoba County Fair or you're, you're hearing the blues in a juke joint and you're looking around you and going, this place is held together with duct tape. Oh my gosh. But that's how you find the really cool places. You've got to talk to people. And so start with a plan. But if somebody says you might be interested in X, Y, Z, go pursue that. And I would follow that advice too. I follow that advice when I travel outside of Mississippi. I've been really, really lucky that my career has taken me to a lot of places around the world. I've um, done work in Africa and in Europe, the Amazon that we talked about, the Middle East. Um, Central and South America, a lot of the United States, and I follow that advice there too. I want to know the place, and I, that means meeting the local people and talking to them. And my husband and I have found that when we travel, we tend to hang out more with the staff at places. Like we hang out with the dive boat master or with the waiter from the restaurant mm-hmm. or with the hiking guide than we do with other guests and other visitors. And as a result, we find really cool things that other people don't get to see. And we also end up making friends from around the world. Right. And that is, that is the best thing about travel to me is meeting other people, finding the real culture in places. I'm, I'm not a, no offense, my mother loves them, but I'm not a cruise ship person. <laughs> I want to really dive into a place and, and have more than a couple of hours there. And the best way to do that is to talk to people, 
and follow the path less traveled. And that would be my advice for anybody that wants to come and really experience Mississippi. Excellent advice. Once again, uh, the two books that I have, one is Off the Beaten Path, Mississippi, A Guide to Unique Places. And the other one is It Happened in Mississippi, Remarkable Events that Shaped History, both by Marlo Carter Kirkpatrick. Again, thank you, Marlo. Well, that was something, wasn't it? Thank you so much to Marlo Kirkpatrick for being our guest today. Uh, I just love talking with her. She is just a a fountain of information about Mississippi. I encourage you to uh, take a look in the bookstore. Find Marlo Carter Kirkpatrick and her books. Uh, You won't be disappointed if you're interested at all in modern-day Mississippi. Great, great author and such an enjoyable guest. Thank you so much, Marlo. Look forward to seeing you again maybe sometime soon in the future. This is Bill Denton with Mississippi Sunshine. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I hope to see you soon.